Men, thanks for listening to our 920 Man Challenge podcast. These are Bible teachings that are meant to be discussed alongside other men in community at our Blankenbaker Man Challenge gathering, where we prioritize developing a competent and confident understanding of who Jesus is and authentic and intentional male relationships. We hope this teaching of God's Word grows your relationship with the Lord, and we urge you to unpack it in your relationship with others. Enjoy! Well, good morning. Good morning, everybody. Um, man, I wasn't here last week, but I was uh, super encouraged. I watched the message uh, from Mason and um, just loved uh, some of the things he presented. So we're in the, in the study of the book of Philippians. And uh, Mason last week talked a bunch about peace and uh, things that rob us of our peace and how we're called to, to rest in the knowledge of, of who God is and how he loves us. And it's kind of the marking of a follower of Christ. And, you know, just kind of rehashing where we've been this whole semester. We've studied the life of David, who was, the Bible calls him a man after God's own heart. And, you know, my prayer for me personally and and the men of God's church in this room specifically is that we would be known in our circles as as men after God's own heart. As uh, daunting as that task sounds, um, I think our, 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 the point of us being here is to grow in confidence and competence in, in who Jesus is and to pursue the character of Christ and uh, being a peacemaker and uh, displaying the characteristics of peace is a huge piece of that. And, and uh, Mason did a great job of conveying that. And I know you, there were some meaningful conversations at the table. This week, we're going to talk about humility. Um, and to me, that's another marking of a, a man who's, who's in pursuit of God's heart is the concept of humility and uh, the pursuit of that. Because if you're like me, uh, on your best day, you feel woefully short of displaying that well in all areas. Um, And so we we have to be in pursuit of that if we're going to try to model that uh, well in in our communities, in our relationships, in our families. You know, I don't know if any of you guys can relate to this, but as I progress in seasons of life, my perspective on on words and concepts change. I was recently at my man Jeff Gardner's wedding, which we had two weddings recently at our table. Jeff and Anderson, you guys lift your hands up. We're going to celebrate marriage here this morning for a second. Um, so I was at my man Jeff Gardner's wedding, this beautiful uh, ceremony out in E-Town on this real cool uh, strawberry farm. Uh, beautiful setting. And Jeff's in you know, mid to late 20s, and he had a bunch of his former UFL baseball teammates there, and they're all you know, right in their prime of their lives in their mid to late 20s. And if I'm honest, and some of you guys can um, relate, it's interesting how you kind of still feel like you're in the, the season of life that you've already graduated from. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't feel as far removed from your all's table as I look. You know what I'm saying? And so I'm like hanging with Jeff's buddies, and, and I kind of feel like I'm in that crowd, in that group. Um, and so then, you know, the night goes on, and we're at, we're at the reception, and we're hanging out, and we start into kind of the program of the reception. And, Jeff and Chelsea have their first dance, and it gets into the daddy-daughter dance part, right? And right before they go on, Chris Morgan was sitting at our table, and uh, our wives are hanging out, and Chris and I are catching up. And all of a sudden, they, they go into the daddy-daughter dance, and the, um, the, uh, Jeff's teammates are kind of up on this balcony back there, and they're all, you know, enjoying themselves. And we're, we're down at this table watching the daddy-daughter dance. And instantly, I go in this trance, like I'm just, and I kind of escape time for a period of time, and I'm just lost in the moment of this, this dad dancing with his daughter, and he's a wreck, and all of a sudden, I'm, I don't realize it, but I, apparently I'm a wreck, and I'm, 
I'm watching this, and, and I don't know if you guys, again, hopefully you, I, this, this crowd can relate to me, but like I used to not be a crier. Like I got my boy Cameron, he's a crier by nature, okay? He, you know, he'll cry at a, at a, at a birthday card, but I like was, I was so not a crier that I thought something was wrong with me, right? But five kids later, I can cry like at a good State Farm ad, you know what I mean? And but I'm not really crying. I'm like misty-eyed. You know what I'm, you know the difference. Like you're moved to tears, but you're not actually crying. Well, I'm watching um, Jeff's father-in-law dance with his daughter, and and I'm totally uh, like out of body watching this deal. And my wife, there's a moment where they really kind of look at each other, and she turns to look at me, and it kind of snaps me out of my trance, and I'm I'm crying like tears. I have tears going down my face, and I I become aware of it. She looks at me. And, I look at her, and I'm kind of trying to snap out of it a little bit. And she leans over, and she whispers to me. She goes, you know we're getting older when the daddy-daughter dance registers a lot more with us than the bride and the groom dance. And I'm like, yeah, we're getting older. And I kind of immediately looked up to the balcony. Those dudes aren't even watching. They're enjoying some beverages. And I'm like, man, there's a lot of space between me and them. There is a whole lot of space between me. And my perspective has changed, right? I'm in a different season of life. So my perspective on going to a wedding is vastly different than it was 15 years ago. Well, today we're going to talk about humility. And in a very similar way, my concept of the word humility has changed over time. I, I was I've been in athletics all my life, and I was a professional athlete and, you know, college athlete, professional athlete. And in athletics, uh, most of the, the, the people that the world, uh, certainly when we were growing up, not to, not to be that guy, I apologize, but, the, you know, the, the, the people that are kind of put on a pedestal usually model humility well in public, right? Like you never turn on the TV and hear Tom Brady going, I was on fire today, <laughs> You guys see me read those defenses? Man, it's unbelievable. You see me hanging there and take that hit? Like, man, I threw like 12 dudes open today. You don't, it doesn't happen, right? That, that never, well, the offensive line was fantastic, and our coaches put together a great game plan, and right? Like, this is the model of humility. So as a young athlete, that's kind of what my perception of being humble and what humility was. And my, my concept of it was, man, if I could just, when people ask me about my athletic talent or my success when they comment on it, if I just deflect the praise and don't say anything too conceited, then I must be winning in that regard, right? Well, uh, you know, a marriage and, and, and a life full of experiences later, I have a much different perspective on the word humility. And I love C.S. Lewis's definition of the word humility. He said, it's not thinking of yourself less, not thinking less of yourself, but of yourself less, let me say that again. That's a, that's a good one to write down. So C.S. Lewis is the great Christian author, C.S. Lewis. Definition of humility is not thinking less of yourself, but of yourself less. God does not call us to downplay our gifts. As a matter of fact, I believe that to be insulting of, of God when we downplay the gifts that he's given us. He's not calling us to that, but what he is calling us to is to think of ourselves less. And if you're like me, and if you're selfish and and, 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 and prone to uh, being fully consumed by your own wants and your own desires and your own perspective, uh, that can be much more difficult concept than, you know, this kind of nominal humility of answering a question well. You guys with me? So we're going to study the book of uh, Philippians today. We're going to be in the second chapter. And what I find so fascinating about this, we talk about one of the tenets of the Christian faith. Paul, as Mason laid out for us last week, Paul is literally establishing the church in Philippi. So 
man, he's getting it off the ground. Some of you guys are small business owners. Some of you guys have coached teams that when he showed up was wrecked. Jay was just telling me about his daughter's field hockey team and the coach who's currently there. When, when he showed up, the place was a mess, right? Paul's establishing a faith system. Can you imagine the task, right? Can you imagine starting Christianity? Uh, we've had, you know, Ronnie was part of a church plan. I can imagine how difficult that was. But just imagine yourself in Paul's shoes. And he's writing from a Roman prison, most likely, and he's writing to the people in Philippi, trying to get them to buy into the principles of a culture that allows for unity and cohesion and eventually uh, longstanding success uh, and, and will uh, allow the church to advance. You guys with me? So as men who are all called to lead in our own circles, uh, man, we do well to listen to what Paul has to say because he has literally given us the secret sauce uh, to building a culture that has uh, long-lasting success. So he says, starting in verse 3, he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. I read that again. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Whew, uh, that, that's pretty heavy, right? And we could probably just adjourn and go to our tables and have a pretty good conversation at this point. But, you know, that, that definition of, of, of selfish ambition, anything we do that is not done out of the love for others, but out of our own desire for advancement. So that, that would be the, the definition of selfish ambition. Conceit and excessively favorable opinion of our ability or importance. So Paul is contrasting these terms of, of selfish ambition and vain conceit with humility. And, and he asks us to, to think less of our, or to think uh, of ourselves less and to value others above ourselves, not looking to our own interests, but to the interest of others. And if we're honest with ourselves and we analyze some of the groups that we've been a part of, some of the relationships that we have, uh, some of the companies that we've either started or worked for, some of the teams that we've been associated with, this is a marking of successful groups, right? Those that, that seek to use their gifts for the good of the whole, don't, don't seek to claim credit uh, and praise for themselves, don't seek to advance their own agenda, but instead look to the bigger picture, serve the bigger unit, right, and, and, and buy into a cause bigger than their own agenda. You guys with me on this, right? We know, we know this to be true. The world knows this to be true. When you think about some of the great organizations in our country, our military, our, our police, our first responders, they all embody this really well, right? The whole point of their organization is to serve, right? They're, they're, they will literally put their life on the line for people they don't know. That's, that's the point. And because of that, we have, you know, the greatest military, we have the greatest uh, law enforcement in the world because they, they buy into these concepts, these biblical principles. In, in the world of sports, I was commenting on, on you know, it's the evil empire of the patriots, but they do a pretty good job of this, at least publicly, right? They, Bill Belichick, you know, you never see him up there taking the credit for a victory. Uh, you, you, you never see uh, the, the star players of a, a team that has longstanding success in, uh, taking the credit for victory. I, I uh, work in the, in the world of college baseball. Where's Kyle Wolf? Kyle Wolf, he's a huge college baseball fan. You guys ever want to catch up with college baseball? Ask Kyle Wolf. But believe it or not, there are people that watch that sport. They pay me to cover it. It's a really cool deal. So uh, 
in that sport, there is some incredible leaders of culture and developers of culture. We have one right here in our own city, Dan McDonald. Matter of fact, I don't know uh, of any, any coach in any sport that develops culture better than Dan McDonald, and he's an outspoken believer who's just a, a beautiful man. I saw him grilling burgers the other day at a Cal football game. He's just a, a beautiful human being. And another program in, in, in college baseball that models this well is Vanderbilt. And uh, if you guys watched the game last night, David Price uh, on the mound for the Red Sox last night went to Vanderbilt. And if you ever watch Vanderbilt in the College World Series, he will fly to Omaha on his off day to go back and be a part of Vanderbilt. Their culture there is, is that special. And so why is their culture that special? Well, they have a leader who's this incredible man of humility. Matter of fact, you go into his office and talk to him. It's, it's a little bit frustrating because he won't, he won't give you anything. Well, we just, we try to just, you know, tell the kids to, to play hard and love their teammates. Yeah, but yeah, but coach, how do you do that? Well, I just, you know, we just try to be consistent. You know, he's, we want the secret sauce. Give me the secret sauce. Tell me, tell me how you do it. And he just won't. But here's what I've noticed. When I first started covering Vanderbilt, it was like, man, that's a really cool kid. Man, that kid's really humble. But then as you go back every year to cover Vanderbilt baseball, you're like, oh, my gosh, they all sound the same. <laughs> hey, you're about to be the number one pick in the draft. Tell me about your emotions leading up to the draft. Oh, man, I, I try not to think about it. Honestly, uh, just really excited about this week of training. You're not allowed to say practice. This week of training, I'm trying to invest in my teammates. Uh, I'm really trying to get uh, Walker excited about his start on Friday, and, and then I'll get into my start. And say, yeah, 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 I get that. But I'm like, you're about to be the first pick. You're, you're going to get like eight million bucks. That's pretty cool, right? Uh, yeah, you know, I've, I've thought about it some, but man, we're just we're trying to get to Omaha, you know. And you hear it, Ty. Again, it gets a little frustrating. You hear it, Ty. You realize that it's, it's a culture of humility. And when when Vanderbilt finally won the national championship, I never forget our cameras were trying to find Coach Corbin, and they finally found him. You know where he was? He was in the dugout in the shadows, up against the wall, watching his team dogpile. He, he didn't want to be, he, he didn't consider himself worthy of being in the pot. He just wanted to, he, he actually compared it to a, a dad on Christmas morning watching his kids open the present. He, man, he just wanted to watch. You know, I thought, wow, maybe that's why I can't get nothing out of these kids. <laughs> you know, it starts at the top. So this concept of, of, of do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but consider others better than yourselves. Uh, uh, an organization that I'm a part of that that's fighting to have success on a daily basis is my marriage. Um, and while God has called me to be the leader of our family, the spiritual leader of our home, to uh, provide for our home and protect our home and to instill discipline in our home, there is no question who the COO of our house is. That is my wife. She is the COO. She is the chief operating officer. And she is the most humble, think of herself less person that I know. The other day, we, we had a six-month-old, right? And so she's breastfeeding. Is that uncomfortable for you guys? This is where the, the mom feeds the baby out of her bosom. That's the way this deal goes, God. It's an amazing plan. So <clears throat> she's a pro, right? Number five, and she can like multitask while breastfeeding like nobody's business, right? And so it's all I can do to like grab my keys as I go out the door. I'm trying to grow in this, but like and we got football practice three nights a week, and we're, we're trying to, you know, be the, be the Alabama peewee football, so we're grinding, you know, three days a week, and I'm on my way out the door. My wife, I'm just going up to say goodbye, and my wife, while breastfeeding and reading the kids' emails and trying to get straight on all the homework that she's going to be helping my other kids with, with while I'm going to practice, 
she reminds me to get Jackson a snack and fill up his water bottle, which literally, like, I'm a minute from leaving the door, and they, neither one of those had crossed my mind at all. Um, and, you know, just this concept of thinking of herself less, it's, I've never seen it. Some of you guys are married to women like this, and it's, it's, it's what makes our home work because she models this concept of, of putting herself second and thinking of others well. Uh, and it, as, I, as I read through the scripture and it washes over me, I'm, I'm continually thankful for a wife who models humility well and inspires me to try to get further down the road. Last night, I, I blew it last night here. I'm about to speak on humility today. We come in from a family walk and we're about to do dinner and we pull out all the stuff out of the fridge. You know what I started doing? Come on, you, you know anybody else in here with me? I started eating. Like the kid, no, the table's not set. No kid's meal. <laughs> I'm just, hey, Chris, would you mind uh, like getting the table set and heating the kids up before you start eating? I'm just, that's how I'm bent. You know what I mean? She starts reeling off the laundry list of all the things that I should be thinking about for the rest of the organization. All I want to do is fill my belly up, right? And so uh, <clears throat> grateful for a woman who models this well. So we know, if we're honest with ourselves, we know the key to organizational success, the key to long-lasting fruit, the key to uh, organization that truly makes an impact is humility. And Paul is going to give us the perfect example of humility. If we read in verse 5, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Here in Man Challenge, we are trying to follow Jesus. We're trying to be more confident and competent in who Jesus is. So whatever we look at, and we're going to use the model of Jesus. And Paul is trying to start an organization, and he does not want to sell them on his wisdom. He wants to sell them on the example of Jesus, and we would do well to follow. It says in verse 6, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. And I, I read that again. Your attitude should be the same as, <clears throat> as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Uh, other translations uh, use uh, something to be used to his own advantage. And if you guys Google servant leadership, that's like a really catchy phrase, right? Uh, there's countless books written uh, on the concept of servant leadership. And, and the truth is, Jesus is the model for that. No matter what worldly spin any, any man tries to put on it, Jesus is the original servant leader. He is the model for servant leadership. This verse uh, does as well as any to try to unpack that for us. And I'm certainly not qualified, maybe bring up Sam here in a minute to, to unpack these verses better for us. But the concept that God, Jesus understood that his deity was not something to be grasped. Like him, him separate from us in heaven was not something that we could relate to. So what did he do? He veiled that. He came down and dwelt among us. He lived a life that we learn about through the scriptures and we can relate to because the scriptures tell us that he was tempted in every way that we were. He walked among us so that we could possibly have <clears throat> relationship with him. He veiled it. And I started thinking about this concept of servant leadership, the concept of maybe I've achieved to a certain level, but I'm going to veil that for the greater good of the group, right? And, and, and the men that I admire most, uh, yes, have, have achieved at a certain a, a level in their career path, but most of them are, are honorable and worth following and are impactful because of the way that they, they veil that position and choose to make an impact on those that are uh, in their sphere of influence, right? We, we, as a group of men, have the opportunity to be influenced by Ronnie Cordray, our men's minister. And I started thinking about it as I was kind of meditating on this verse over the last few weeks. I started thinking about, man, what a title it is to be the men's minister at Southeast Christian Church. Okay? 
It's a pretty big title. Would you guys agree with that? I don't know if you've noticed it's a pretty big place, right? There's quite a few dudes in this place. And I started thinking about, man, what, a, what an honor, what a title. It must look cool on your desk, like Men's Minister Southeast Christian Church. And the truth is, I don't know a man who models humility better. I, do, I don't know one. I really don't. And, and the, the title and the status of this men's minister at Southeast Christian Church almost seems to, to fall by his, his uh, recognition sometimes personally to the point where you're like, man, this dude is so humble that he inspires me to look so much more outward than I'm prone to do if I didn't have his model. When you get an audio prayer from Ronnie, and I know there's countless men in this room that have received that, right? When you know that he's at Iron Bell on Wednesday and he's there to refill his cup and he's got a million issues going on with his wife and his three kids and heavens knows all the issues us knuckleheads giving, right? Trying to run this ministry. And he takes the time out of his quiet time to personally write me a prayer that's longer than, hey, prayed for you this morning. You come face to face with the knowledge of, man, I'm a selfish dude. And you're inspired to think of others more. And, and Ronnie understands his gifting. He understands his calling. But man, he thinks of others a lot. And I'm grateful, Ronnie, in front of these men. I'm grateful for your leadership there. I'm grateful for Mason as well. And there's so many men in this room that inspire me in that way. But as men, wouldn't we do well? Wouldn't we do well to, to work in such a way that we achieve all that God's gifts have given us? have allowed us to achieve, right? Wouldn't we do well to do that? Wouldn't we do well to wake up every morning and accept the calling God's put in our chest to achieve at such a level that the world would not be able to deny that we are using our giftedness well? But man, if we really want fruit, if we really want a lasting impact, the responsibility that comes with that <clears throat> is to, to veil whatever privileges come with that and to try to inspire and lead and serve those around us well, to do that well. And I, again, I, as we try to strive to be men who <clears throat> represent Jesus well, to me, this should be a marking of our life. And that dude gets after it. Man, he seems to love other people well. Man, he seems to be externally focused. Right? It's not this all shucks, I'm no good, and no, that wasn't me. Ronnie's so humble, he's, he's, he's trying to do better at, at receiving compliments, right? And, and, and so my hope for this room is that as Jesus modeled for us, again, not Paul's philosophy, certainly not my philosophy, but as Jesus modeled for us, accept who we are, accept our calling by God, but do it so that we use the gifts that God has given us for his glory and the good of others. And when we do that, man, we are really serving and leading well and embodying this concept of servant leadership. And back to the theme of Paul's writing, we are now starting to put in the, the, the real building blocks of unity in an organization, right? We've, we've, we all agree that this concept of humility works in a macro setting. We, we, we see that the example of Jesus is to, as we achieve as individuals, not use that as something that promotes our own kingdom, but to try to use that to serve others. Right? We, we would agree with those two points. Okay? Now, the third thing is, how do we, how do we thrive in that calling? Because right? if, we're, if we're honest with ourselves, we can agree in the philosophy of humility. We can uh, agree that Jesus was the perfect model of that. We can look to other men in our lives and say, man, they do that well. But the truth is, if we are going to be vibrant members 
of God's church and ultimately advance his kingdom, just as Paul is asking the Philippians to do, if we are going to participate with God in that, we have to excel in this concept of humility and this practice of, of humility. And so Paul's going to give us um, the, the, the pattern to follow to do that. So continue in, in verse 7. But he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, <clears throat> my, my normal routine for uh, giving these messages or, or trying to um, come up with, with what, what God has puts on my heart to, to share is just to read over the passage and go to my notes, read over the passage, go to my notes. And it's crazy how sometimes you can read over it, read over it, read over it, and it's all of a sudden you get this kind of aha moment. And I just thought, guys, please, please underline in your Bible or write down the proximity there in verse 8 of, and being found in appearance as a man, this, these two phrases. He humbled himself and became obedient. Would you write that down? He humbled himself and became obedient. He humbled himself and became obedient. Now let's, let's make a, uh, let's make a, a uh, distinction between the thought of humbling yourself and being humbled. You with me there? Those are two very different things. I've been humbled a bunch in my life. You know, I can remember the first time I faced Chris Carpenter in a batter's box. I immediately came face to face with my uh, being overmatched. It was a humbling feeling to, to look out 60 feet away and know that I had very little chance at success. That's a, that's a humbling feeling, right? I, I was humbled uh, many times by coaches. I can remember uh, being scared to death doing an Oklahoma drill in, in seventh grade football and, and, and literally just kind of diving away from a hit. And the coach calling me pretty much everything that you could imagine a coach calling me and kicking me out of a drill. I can remember how humbling that was and how uh, embarrassed I felt, right? I can, I can remember the first time I shared my testimony in a church feeling like a poser and a hypocrite. And at 23 years old, I knew that I was not actively pursuing Jesus. I was kind of a nominal Christian, and uh, God really convicted of me a heart. He kind of humbled me that day. And those moments can be uh, definitely uh, mark our, our journey. There's, there's, I'm not trying to downplay moments where we are humbled, but it's a very different thing to be humbled and to humble ourselves, to actively pursue humility. You guys with me on this? The pursuit of humility is different than humbling ourselves. And if you're like me, this is a very foreign concept, one that's not comfortable, one that I would really, if, uh, if uh, God chose to leave this out of the tenets of Christianity, I wouldn't be upset about, but he didn't. And so I'm called to follow it. And it's this active pursuit of humility. Uh, and Jesus, Jesus humbled himself and became obedient. And I thought, man, as men, <clears throat> this is, isn't this what we're kind of here to do? Right? I mean, what, what's the act of getting up at 5.30 every morning, every Thursday morning. It's an act of humility. Why are you here? You're, you're, you're acknowledging that there's something out there more than you can provide yourself, right? You need this more than you need sleep. That's an act of humility. What are we called to do around the tables, man? We're called to be transparent. We're called to share. That's an act of humility. But we're missing it if we don't have that follow-up phrase, which is become obedient. <clears throat> and so one of, the, one of the things I really want to tee up for conversation today is this concept of Humbling ourselves and becoming obedient. Humbling ourselves and becoming obedient. At our table, we've had some great models this semester. Uh, we've had some guys confess, like really go there, confess sexual sin. Like not dance around it, not speak in generalities where we all kind of know what he's talking about. Like really go there. And then 
and then one off me to like fully unpack it and then desire to be held accountable so that he can be obedient, so that he can have proximity to God, so that he can bear good fruit in his life. Because what he knows is the concept of sexual purity, while not something that is always comfortable or easy for us to follow, is from God and therefore is for his glory and our good. So one of the things we struggle with as men is this humble act of understanding that our ways are not best. The Bible says that there's a way that seems right to a man, and in the end, it leads to death. Our ways are not best. His ways are best. They're for our good, no matter how much we don't want to believe that. And that when we buy into his ways, it is for our good and for his glory, and we experience the, the peace that Mason talks about of knowing that we are walking with him. Chris, how the four years of sobriety? Not always easy, but I'm sure that's a, that's a peace that that chasing the world doesn't provide. Am I right, my man? And that's, that's God's ways. And what, what we are called to humbly acknowledge is that our ways are not best. Our ways lead to death. His ways lead to life. And we're called to humbly accept that. So we, we've had a, another example at our table this semester where a man humbly admitted his desire to control his finances, humbly admitted that he's maybe not completely aligned with God's word in this way. And that, that's an act of humility. Now, the challenge is to become obedient and to bear fruit in this. And ultimately, Jesus is our model for that. Right? So my question for you guys today, one that I hope we land on at the tables is, man, in what way do I need to humble myself and, and become obedient? Not because I'm asking you to, and not because Paul thinks it's a, a great way for the Philippians to, to build a cohesive unit in Philippi, but because the model of Jesus was to humble and become obedient. Humble yourself, pursue humility, and become obedient. So a couple, couple, couple suggestions uh, before we wrap up here on ways that you can pursue humility. Guys, my, my prayer for my life and my prayer for this room is that we would pursue humility well. This would be a, a marking of our life, that if somebody stood up at your funeral, they'd say, man, this was a dude who was in constant pursuit of Jesus, and along the way he modeled humility well, right? You, you, you know, one of the times Jesus speaks about the condition of his own heart, he says that his own heart is gentle and humble. And so we know that if we're called to be men after God's own heart, that humility is supposed to be, a, God wants our heart, it should be an overflow of our heart. Ways to pursue humility. Read and submit to Scripture, men. Make it a part of your day. Humbly give God a piece of your schedule. Do that. Pursue humility in that you're going to go, you know what, God? You can do more with this piece of my schedule if I give you this than me trying to run this rat race all day long, every day. I'm going to humbly submit a piece of my schedule to you. Two, man, become a man who gives of your time, talent, and treasure. You want to pursue humility? Give. And for some of you, it's money. You have a really hard time with money. For some of you, it's your time. Right? And a way, to, to, a way to really analyze that is, man, what am I doing in my free time? Is my free time marked by giving and trying to help others? Uh, or is my free time constantly consumed in what's going to please me next and my next trip and my next golf round and my next big game? Or is, is, or is my free time marked by uh, this, this concept of giving? Pray. For me, this is, a, this is one of my struggles. This is one of the ways where I, I, I fail at humility. I'm, I'm prone towards, ah, that'll work itself out, or God knows my prayers, you know, but just to pause and ask God to enter in. I love how Mason last week said, God, do this in me. I don't know if you want to do this for me, but what your word tells me is that you do want to do this in me. 
And I'm going to pray that you would. Four, say I'm sorry. And you want to pursue humility. This is one of the things. There's some things in my, in my marriage where I'm like, I'm, it's easy for me to say I'm sorry. There's some things I'm hard. The other day I, fe- I forgot my three-year-old's backpack to preschool. Not good. He's potty training. You know what's in his backpack? Extra underwear. You know, it's not, it's not good, right? My, I know what Sarah's thinking. Dude, I gave this dude one job. Like he just, the backpack, that's it. You know what I mean? I'm thinking about the coffee I'm going to have with a couple dudes. I'm thinking about my big 1130 pickup basketball game where I got to carry Kyle Wolf, which is a really big task. (laughs) Missed the backpack. I missed it. You know, I'm sorry. Hard. Shouldn't be hard, Shugs. That should not be hard to say. It is. I don't know why it is. It it was, oh, babe, I ran it. Like I can say, I can not say I'm sorry really well, but to just say I'm sorry can be really hard. And that is, that is a way that I'm trying to pursue humility. Confess. That's what we're here to do. We had, I asked some men in this room, uh, give me some ways you pursue humility. And one of them said, I, I specifically confess my sin. I thought, wow, that, that is an act of humility. Not, man, I'm struggling with less, but like, here's her name and here's where I did it. Or, or this is where it was and this was the context. Like, that, that, that's a humbling act. Ask for help. And you want to pursue humility as, as men, right? We, we can struggle with this. Uh, man, brother, you seem to have a little better grasp in this area than I do. Would you help me with this? And, and, and last, guys, I, I would just say, like, look for ways on a, in a practical basis to be outwardly focused. Remember C.S. Lewis's definition of, of humility, not thinking less of ourselves, but of ourselves less. Um, and so that daily pursuit of someone else. In, 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 this, in this realm, where, where, where this place has me, where God has me right now, I'm going to try to be outwardly focused. So in conclusion, right, the, the culture of humility works. We know that that breeds long-lasting success. Jesus is our model for that. There should be no other model for anything we do in here but Jesus Number three, we know that for it to last, for the culture of humility to, to, to grow and last, we as the men of this church and in our own spheres of influence, we have to pursue it. There are some in here that are naturally gifted in this way, some that aren't, but all of us are called to pursue it. And when that happens, when, when we do, relationships change, family change, work environments change, and Jesus is glorified. The name of Jesus the name above every other name is lifted higher. And I'm just going to finish with that. Verse 9, therefore, don't miss this. And, you know, the, the, the theologians will tell you that this maybe was the first hymn ever written. If you notice in your Bibles, it's, 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 it's written in a, in, a, in a way that suggests that it, it was not normal uh, writing style, that maybe this was a, a hymn that Paul is quoting here. And starting in verse 9, it says, Therefore God exalted him. After Jesus was humbled and became, after he humbled himself and became obedient, God exalted him to the highest place. He gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God, when we, guys, when we live a life that is marked by humility, Jesus is exalted. May it be said of this room that we are men pursuing humility.
questions for you guys. Has your concept of humility, I shared that story at the beginning about my concept of humility, how it's changed over the years. I'd love for you guys to discuss that in the group. Uh, maybe it changed over the last 30 minutes. Number one, has your concept of humility changed? If so, how so? Two, can you think of an organization that you've been a part of uh, where humility was modeled well or a relationship uh, that you're engaged in where humility is modeled well? What, number three, what area do you need to humble yourself and become obedient? Let's be specific. And number four, practically on a daily basis, how can you regularly look for ways to pursue humility in your relationships? All right, let me pray and we'll get going. <clears throat> God, you are good. You are uh, holy. Uh, and we aren't, God. Uh, your ways are best. Um, and we acknowledge that in this place. God, we want to be known as men who pursue you uh, in all areas of our life. Specifically today, God, we just pray that you would do a work in us, that you would uh, move in us, uh, that we would become outwardly focused, God, that we would be known as men that uh, don't use our gifts for our own kingdom, but use them for your glory, God. Help us to be authentic and transparent at our tables today, God, in, in ways that we can um, humble ourselves and become obedient. God, not, we're not, we don't want to be men that are waiting around to be humbled, uh, but we want to be known as men that are actively pursuing humility. God, I thank you for this morning. Uh, would you move in us today? In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's Bible teaching from Man Challenge at the Blankenbaker campus of Southeast Christian Church. For more information on how to get involved, reach out to us via the email address in our podcast description or find us on social media.